Very good. Well, um, as uh, you might, may be aware, maybe unaware, but we've been, uh, we've been charging through, or we haven't, we've been meandering. Uh, Jono and I have been meandering through uh, what could loosely be termed a series about love. And uh, it's, it's not really been a series. It's, it's actually, so to apologize, it's not a series. It's a theme. Uh, and for the month, we thought, let's talk about love. Um, and and the, the reason I think that uh, it's important, love is such an important thing, is because it's, it's probably the, most, the single most important theme in Scripture. It's actually the theme of themes. It's the, it's the whole of Scripture is, uh, it's the genre, actually, that Scripture falls in. The big, uh, to use the, the, the big story of the Bible, or the meta-narrative of our Christian faith is a love story. And it's full of tragedy and difficulty and uh, suspense and promise. And, and it, there's this massive resolution uh, at the end, but it's a love story. And as Christians, if we don't uh, do some do some thinking about what love is and how love outworks in our life, we're sort of missing out on what the whole big story is about, actually. And uh, so all of the messages are available online on our SoundCloud account. If, uh, if, you, if you just Google SoundCloud, you'll find it. It's just the thing on the interweb. Um, it's actually just the... People, some people said to me, wow, it's real cool you've got a SoundCloud account for the sermons. And uh, let's be honest, it's just the easiest way uh, to get the sermons to you. It's much easier than producing um, cassette tapes uh, or anything like that. And uh, so they are available online, and you can catch up with the other sermons. Jono's sermon from a couple of weeks ago, uh, I just listened to during this week. And is it is a great, great message that you should listen to. Is that all right? Uh, we're starting next week a new series, which we um which I'm stealing all of the notes from Pastor Sam on. Uh, and uh, so that's good. That's where, If you want to know where I stole the notes from, I'm stealing these notes from Pastor Sam. And, uh, and so Jono and I are going to be preaching through a series called Awestruck. And uh, the reason I'm doing that is we just had so much good feedback from uh, Equipus Church Auckland. Ben Sam went through this, uh, these ideas out of Scripture that really helped people understand how God works in their world. And so we want to do that as a church. And we also, if you look at that, I just want you to get excited. We've got Pastor Peter Prothero, uh, or P3 as he's officially known, uh, Pastor Peter Prothero, and uh, he is um, preaching for us three times. Two of those are actually live streamed, those two Sunday nights. So if you've got your card, look at that, I want because we forgot to put it on the card. The Sunday night next week, the 7th of June, and then the Sunday after that, the 14th of June, those two night services, uh, Pastor Peter is going to be preaching on that wall. Uh, he's preaching in Auckland for those two services, uh, and we're going to stream him to, I think, every other Equipus Church in New Zealand. Uh, and the reason is we're asking him, he's a really awesome Bible teacher. Uh, he uh, runs a large, he's in charge of a large Bible college in Denmark, as well as pastoring the Equipus Church in London. Uh, and it's, uh, the Bible college he's in charge of in Denmark is, this, is the uh, most significant Bible college of Pentecostal churches in Europe. And uh, so he's a, but he's an awesome teacher. And so he's going to be doing two Sunday nights on eschatology or end times theology. And he has promised, he has promised to, uh, to blow up everything you currently believe about end times theology. Okay, so it will be, it will be controversial. Uh, it will challenge what you think you understand about the book of Revelation. Uh, it will challenge what you think you understand about the end times and the rapture and the left behind, etc., etc. He personally is going to pull apart uh, 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 book by book the whole left behind series he's going to do in that uh, two weeks. So if you're like me, that's the sort of thing I want to see, something a little bit negative. Uh, and, uh, but, but the idea is as well is that if you have friends who uh, have uh, questions about Christianity, these are some cool ones. 
There's some cool things that we believe as Christians about the end times that shape our every day. Uh, we're really hoping that that's a great space to bless uh, for uh, non-Christian friends to come into and for it to be a real blessing. Is that cool? Very good. Excited about that? My two notices turned into four. Uh, anyway, grab your Bible and have a look at, let's have a look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 8. And this is what we use as our central scripture. Um, and uh, as John has said, if you've been to a wedding, you've heard this one before. It says this, love suffers long. I like that. In other translations, it says love is patient. Uh, but then this has got us a little bit of definition of what patience means. Patience means to suffer for a long time. Uh, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, love is not puffed up, love or does not behave rudely and it does not seek its own, or another translation say it doesn't seek its own interests, uh, love is not provoked, love thinks no evil or thinks the best of others, love does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all I love that, I love how that fits in the one verse, but before it's gone. Uh, love never fails. Love bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things. Love never fails. Now, one of the things that is challenging about that little passage in 1 Corinthians is the simple reality, reality that none of us could possibly live up to that sort of measure of Christian faith or Christian expression of for more than about a minute at a time for most of the guys. Uh, most of the women can stretch it out to a day at a time. But the reality is, for all of us, our self-interest overrides love just about all of the time. Our self-interest is probably one of the biggest challenges we face in terms of trying to be like Jesus. Because the, the thing about Jesus is he wasn't really focused on himself a lot of the time, was he? He was focused on his mission. He was focused on his call. But um, we, we, in the first series, in the first message, we talked about this word love that Paul uses is the word agape, and and it's that agape love that we need to see in our life. This this passage, First Corinthians four to eight, is it, that's really about God's love. Paul's not really telling you how loving he is. He's talking about the love of God, this agape, unconditional love, and he's describing how God's love works. And we've got to understand how God's love works because we want it shaped into our own world. But the first lesson on love that we need to understand is how much God loves us. How much God cares for us. How much God has paid for us. How much the, 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 the lengths that God went to to reach out to us. Everyone stand to your feet. Everyone stand to your feet. Turn to the back of the room. Clap your hands and cheer for Pastor Michael and Jillian Brown. So nice to have you with us. Grab a seat. They're here for the 1045 service. We have 100 services a day. They just start minutes apart. And uh, if you don't know Pastor Michael and Jillian, they uh, were the pastors here, and they are the legendary parents of the amazing Jono Brown and parents-in-law of the amazing Emma Brown. It's been a real family couple of weeks for you guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brilliant. Anyhow, I was talking about love. It's really about God's love. And as Christians, what makes us different is not how much we love other people, but it's how aware we are of God's love for us, which should, which should impact on the other people around us and, and influence how we relate with others. Is that all right? Um, I don't know what you're like. Um, I, I know what I'm like, but I don't know what you're like when the pressure's on. 
Uh, I don't know what you're like, um, but I do know what I'm like when I've got too many things to think about, you know, one or two or three things to think about, uh, and, and, then, and then someone asks you about a fourth thing. You know, uh, in life, um, my dad always talks about his brain being like a Windows operating system. He's old school. Um, it's probably, he's probably thinking of DOS anyway, but uh, you, you know what it's like when you have, uh, Christine does this to our laptop at home. She has, you open up Chrome. And then you can't see what any of the tabs are because she's got 75 different tabs open. And one of them Spotify, which is using about 80% of the CPU. Uh, one of them she always has open. Uh, then she, so she has all these things open in Chrome. And then she also has Firefox open as well because she likes to use two browsers. Uh, and so she always has Firefox open at home. So you're like, I'm just going to quickly find something out on the computer. So you flip open the laptop and then you go and you boil the jug. Uh, and then you, you slow cook a piece, large piece of steak. Uh, and then you sit down and eat it. And then the computer is finally caught up and downloaded your email, right? But life can be like that when you've got lots of things going on. And I know what I'm like when I've got this unre- you know, unresolved issue number one, unresolved issue number two, unresolved issue number three, all playing out in the background of my mind. And then, then, then uh, uh, I've been thinking about these things and I'm in the middle of doing something. And then a small person in my life, one of my children, asks me a really annoying question. And then I snap. I don't snap as in go crazy and throw them out the window. Uh, that, if that's happening for you, you do need to get help. But, but probably you need to address it where I'm at. We, you find yourself snapping and being short with people just because of all the stuff going on in your world. And you start to sort of realize where your capacity is at in terms of, A, in terms of dealing with stuff, and B, in terms of having a focus on people outside of you rather than on your own little struggle. Right? You ever know what I'm talking about? Uh, it might be, it might be that um, this this um, this is part of our DNA as humans. Evolutionary psychologists would tell you that it's all part of the fight or flight thing, and you, you know that we've got this we've got this whole process in our uh, in our. DNA or to our humanity, whereas when we're under, we're under pressure or we, we feel threatened, uh, we'll always look for a corner to defend or we'll always look for an exit to run out of. Now, wherever it comes from, it's still pretty universal that whenever you feel backed into a corner, you're going to scratch out someone's eyes. Right, and you're, you're going to look for a way out of the relationship. We're going to look for a way out of the conversation. As soon as you feel threatened or under pressure, when it all turns back on you. Then you're looking to you either fight your way out or you run for the hills. I, I don't know what you're like, but I do know what I'm like. And if 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 there's something that I've been involved in, like a project that I've done, or um, or uh, you know, like you know, uh, you, you know, you've done a piece of artwork. I'm trying to think of it back in the olden days when I was at school, or you know, and, and then um, you know, or, or maybe uh, for me, I, I, I preach one of my best sermons, and then I, uh, you know, and then I go home and have a conversation with Christine about it. Uh, you know, uh, it doesn't take much, really. You know, if someone just asks, you know, uh, just actually a pretty reasonable question about something that you've done, you know, like in you know, in the st- staff room setting, maybe a project you're involved in, someone asks a question that sort of just cuts in, you know, just cuts in a little bit. You know, it doesn't take much for me to jump to defense mode. Well, you know, rah, 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 and just start justifying this thing. Because somehow, as soon as someone questions something that I've done or a project that I'm in or whatever, you know, something I'm responsible for even, I feel threatened. Now, I'm a pretty confident person, but I still find myself snapping when I feel a bit threatened. 
I still find myself barking when I feel like someone's poking a stick at me. Do you know what I mean? Even though they're just asking a question, but there's something going on inside of me that winds me up and that makes me snap, right? It's funny that we end up snapping at the people who are closest to us. Sometimes we say they're sort of, we're our most real, we would say, if we're being lazy. We're real. I'm just being real. No, you're being a jerk. But the reality is we're, we're, we're the most abrasive sometimes. We're the, we're the most cutting. We're the mo- we jump to the defense of the most with the people that are closest to us. Uh, and in reality, we're missing the point, you know. Um, and Jesus himself um, demonstrated some pretty amazing resilience under pressure, didn't he? He demonstrated a pretty amazing ability to keep focused on the mission under pressure. He demonstrated a pretty amazing ability to to suffer the pain, uh, even though the people who he was suffering for were against him. I was reflecting this week, you know, it's one of the amazing things about the story of Jesus and his 12 closest followers. It's not so amazing that one of them betrayed him. It's really amazing that one of them betrayed him. It's not so amazing that one of them, Peter, denied him. What's amazing is that only one of them denied him. The reality is that it's normal that Jesus came to, to die for his enemies. He came and died for Judas. He came and died for Peter. He came and died for all those people who plotted against him. Uh, and he did that under the most extreme pressure. He did that not wanting to. But he did that because of mission and purpose and because of what God was wanting to display in the world. Grab your Bible. Let's have a look at Luke. He, Jesus taught us. He, Jesus said some pretty outlandish things about love under pressure. And uh, let's have a read of this. This is Luke chapter 6, verse 27. And Jesus says, I say to you, there's a but at the start, so we will get back to the context at some point. But he says, I say to you, uh, anyone who's going to hear, I'll say this. Oh, can we change to the New Living translation? I'm being fussy now. Have I got it in New Living? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I say to you who are, look at that, isn't that amazing technology? I say to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Now, this falls into the category of the things we read in the Bible a lot without thinking about. Right? Because that is nonsense. Isn't it? I say to you, love your enemies. It's it's like when Michael Jordan was famous, the Nike put out that T-shirt. The meek will inherit the earth, but they won't get the ball. Uh, The reality is this is one of the things that the Bible says that we really don't believe. Because that is stupid. Isn't it? The reality is this is is not something Jesus says, and and everyone in the crowd was like, yes, that's right. We We already sort of do that. Uh, We just need to make a few adjustments. Now, this is Jesus attacking human nature. This is Jesus lining up one of the biggest central issues in our humanity and how we relate with each other. And he's trying to undermine it. He's trying to cut it off. He's he's attacking self-interest at the most extreme end. He doesn't say love the people who annoy you a little bit. He doesn't say love the people who waste your time. He's not saying love the people who wait for five seconds before they go on the green light. He's saying love your enemies. Just so you know, an enemy is someone who is actively working against you. An adversary. Jesus says, love the people who are actively working against you. It's like, wow, oh, that's quite, yeah, oh, yeah. Mm. You know, but we, you know, for, for me growing up in church, this is one of those things we, we, we would, I would have had this as a memory verse, right? And so we know the words, but what's Jesus actually saying? Well, he, he goes on. 
And he says this, do good to those who hate you. Now, we know that the word hate in Greek, don't you, is really, it's not hate like we do hate. Like we hate Hitler, right? It's not like that hate. It's, it's really like do good to the people who think less of you. Do good to them. So find the people who think less of you and, and treat them better than you treat yourself, right? So you, that's an inversion of behavior, right? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Look at this one. Bless those who curse you. Again, this is an opposite. A blessing is a spoken and evoking good things for someone. So speak good things for someone who's speaking bad things for you. And then it says this. Pray for those who hurt you, but you've got to get this hurt one is awesome. In the, in the King James, it says, pray for those who spitefully use you, right? So it's like hate, curse, spitefully use. If someone slaps you, oh, here, just, Alyssa, jump up here. We're just, no. If somebody slaps you <laughs> on one cheek, <laughs> no, I would go down like a second spot. If someone slaps you on one cheek, I, I like this, it says, offer them, offer them the other one. So someone slaps you on one cheek, offer them the other one, right? But not, I don't think he's meaning like in the Muhammad Ali style, uh, you know, go on there, what do you got? It's, it's really just saying, come on, it's a surrender to these people who are against you, right? If someone demands your coat, hey, give me your coat, you offer them your shirt also. So if someone demands like the, these are things that get cut right against. Now, if someone's demand, if someone comes up to you demands your coat, I'll just tell you. I'll just tell you how you will react. If someone comes up to you and demands your coat, the very last thing that crosses your mind will be, "I should give this person my shirt also." Jesus is not saying this. Jesus is not talking about this. Well, this is really how you're made anyway, and this is your natural way of doing things. Jesus is describing a, a whole new reality, a whole new approach to everything. Right. Verse 32, we'll carry on. Anyone, we'll carry on. Verse 32, verse 31 first maybe. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. And then verse 32 says, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. Verse 33, if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. If you lend money only to those who can, re- if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Just break, break, break for a minute there. When Jesus is using the word sinners, he's not really meaning ugly, evil people. Uh, he's meaning people outside of the family of God. So he's saying people who don't have God as their father will still do that, but he's contrasting once we're part of the family of God and we start behaving like God does, we behave differently to people who have a different father or they have a different family heritage. They use that word sinners, but we've got lots of other meanings for it as well. Moving on to verse 35 says, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will be truly be acting as children of the most high. For he is, the, he is kind to those who are unthankful and who are wicked. Isn't that awesome? You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. So the first point we've got to understand when Jesus is talking about love here and loving our enemies is he's defining a radical new approach. 
It's, Jesus is not affirming human nature here. Jesus is redefining what our nature should be like as the family of God. He's redefining it, and he's not just redefining it as in just, he's not just adjusting human nature. How many people wish the scripture would do that a little bit more? But he's not doing that. He's destroying our normal way of interacting with other people and with the world around us, and he's replacing it with a whole brand new one. Um, I read this uh, book when I was a teenager called um, The Peace Child, and it's by a missionary guy called Don Richardson. And in the 1960s, I think, or early 70s, he and his wife traveled deep into Papua New Guinea uh, to like a completely remote people group um, as missionaries. And they're, they're an American couple, and they had a pretty amazing experience. They, they, they began living with and interacting with a, a, like a wide sort of group of tribes of people, a big nation of people, and there are multiple tribes within it. Um, and this nation of people had a singular central value that they valued highest. And the, the, the highest value they had was deceit. The person who was great, most greatly honored in all of their gatherings was the person who pulled off the biggest tricks. And the ultimate trick you could pull would be to make friends with someone from one of the other tribes within this nation, to make friends with them and build an alliance with them so that you could, you could ultimately build up to the point where you could kill them and eat them. To do that would, to be, would be the ultimate hero. So for us, you have all black captain. For this tribe, you have the guy who was able to eat his friend was the ultimate hero, right? And we sort of think, again, that's mind-boggling for us. Because our culture has developed differently. But human culture can develop any way it wants. And that's how this culture developed. Right? That was what they valued. So when they began to preach the gospel, when he talked about Judas in the gospels, people cheered. And they talked about Peter. They're like, yeah, he's finally getting it. Now, the reality is they were completely disheartened for years. Two and three and four years. Nobody responded. Everyone laughed at them. Because it, that what he was preaching was clashing with. I might have to, oh, gosh. James is fooling around at the back. No, he's not. I think I clapped the microphone and broke it, and that came back again. Anyhow, in the end, um, they, they were able to find a, 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 a really ancient uh, legend within this culture of how finally the warring tribes would come together. And, and what it was, was the only way two tribes could come together because they were, the, these, this culture was so built up on deceit and uh, envy, there was only one agreement that would never, was never okay to break, right? Because every agreement you could break because deceit was the value. Tricking other people was what made you a hero. Unless you had a peace child, which is the name of the book, unless you'd made a peace child covenant between the two tribes. As long as that peace child was alive, those two tribes, no one from that tribe could ever trick anyone else in that tribe. And so what a peace child was is that the tribe that wanted to make peace would give a baby that had been born in their tribe and give it to the other tribe. And the baby would become part of that other tribe. And as long as that, a baby was alive, there would be peace between those two tribes. So as soon as he found this myth, he was able to connect the gospel reality that Jesus is our pe Jesus is the peace child of God. Because up until then, Jesus was just a loser who died on the cross because he got tricked. But now Jesus is the peace child and he's resurrected. He's always alive. So there's always peace between God and heaven. 
right? And so you can understand, see, how the gospel comes in and it attacks our culture. It's so contrary to our culture until it finds some sort of landing place, until there's some sort of way for it to connect. But the reality is when we think about a, a, a tribe in the in Irian Jaya, like in deep and darkest, back in the 70s, and they hadn't had any influence of Christianity. It's easy for us to understand what counterculture Again, sorry, I'll stop clapping. It's easy for us to understand what counterculture means when the gospel comes into the deepest, darkest, whatever. But the reality is we've got to understand we live in deepest, darkest Wellington. We live in a culture that's, uh, uh, that's contrary to Christianity. We're surrounded by it. We're influenced by it. We grew up in it. We learned it. Now, we've all been, maybe we've been in church for all our life or some of our life, but we've only been in church one day a week, most of us. But we're in school for five days a week, or, and we're at university for three days a week, spread out across five days a week. Uh, <laughs> every time you get, you make a joke about university students being lazy. But, um, but you know, we're surrounded by, we, we, you've probably spent more time, I guarantee you've spent more time watching TV than you have listening to sermons or reading your Bible. The influences in your life are far more anti-gospel than they are gospel. That's why we, we can read the words, love your enemies, but we know the words, but the concept needs to clash with how we actually behave. We'd, when was the last time you we actively went out of your way to do something good for the people who are working contrary to your best interest? When was the last time you identified your enemies? Who are my enemies? Who are the people who are working against me? Who are the people that I need to love? Let's break it down. He says, love your enemies, Jesus says. He's, he's saying that this is supposed to be normal. Bless those who hate you or curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you, spitefully use you or hurt you. When you're slapped off of the other cheek, if someone demands your shirt, give them your coat also. Give, in, give to anyone who asks, particularly if they can't pay you back. Don't ever try and get back things that are stolen from you. Interesting though, what is an enemy? Isn't it? I've already told you the English definition of the word enemy is that an enemy is someone who's actively working against you. But the Latin root is, I think, an interesting one. Uh, it, it just means in. Enemy is from in, in, in amicus, which some of you would be able to guess, means not in is not my friend, Amicus. So an enemy in the in the in the the word we got we have our current word enemy from, it's actually slightly different than someone who's working against you. It's someone who's not your friend. So when Jesus is talking about we've got to love our enemies, he's talking about we've got to extend to people outside the circle of our friendship the same love we have for people inside our friendship. Pastor Sam would say we need to draw a bigger circle of call it our, and call it our friends. We need to extend it. This, again, is a radical approach. I, I don't know how many people here have been slapped on the face this week. I, can't, I haven't been slapped on the face since I lived at home and said some, the wrong thing to my mum. But we, you know, the examples Jesus used were, were specific to the time. Because that was a common insult to slap someone on the face. I think it'd be quite cool to bring it back. But Any, Has anyone here, um, anyone had your um, coat demanded off you recently? Hey, give me your coat, man. Uh, yeah, most of us don't dress that well. 
you know. And, and even though um, people might say nasty stuff or we might feel like they do, not many of us get cursed. No one, not, you know, people might pull the fingers, but that's not quite the same as someone wishing you were dead uh, and speaking it out, cursing your, your, your very existence. But, but I think we've got to, uh, maybe those examples that Jesus used are a bit distant from us. But the radical agenda has got to somehow land in our world. We've got to ask ourselves, what, is, what does it mean for us to live a, 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 a love existence to people around us, to people who are not our friends? What, is that, what does that radical approach look like? Maybe, maybe it's things like, um, has any, you know, maybe no one's going to slap you on the face, but, but people do cross your boundaries, though, don't they? People do, do you know, a slap is such an insult because someone's come right into your world, haven't they? And if they've misused you physically, right? It's symbolic more than anything else. But, but, but we have that same experience don't we, where people just, people just cross our boundary or cut us off in life. People, you know, I don't know. There's nothing. I've, I've, I've seen people, you know, have you ever seen people really angry? I used to be a primary school teacher, and there was a few things that made people really angry, uh, the primary school teachers that I worked with. And, and the number one thing, was, the number one thing in, in the school, you, know, you understand, primary school is a pretty tense place. There's a lot of, there's a lot of kids growing, and you know, I, taught, I only taught in rough schools because they had lower expectations of the teachers. Um, <laughs> that's not true. Anyway, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more. The, uh, the, the thing that made people real mad is not, you know, the, this kid did that or this kid did that, you know, or the administration. Did the, th- the thing that, that, that made people the angriest and observably angry was, always happened in the staff room, and it was to do with the fridge in the staff room. And, and, and the thing that made people the angriest was that they would leave food in the fridge. Now, I don't know who these people are who leave food in the fridge. I've never left food in the fridge expecting to see it again, right? But they would leave food in the fridge and they would come the next day and someone had eaten it. And their anger factor was beyond belief. Do you know what I mean? And I've even heard teachers say, I'm going to find who did this and I'm going to kill them. This, they were word for word. I'm going to find who did this and I'm going to kill them. Well, likely it's one of your professional colleagues who's eating that food. Are you really? Are you actually going to kill them? But their anger wells up. Why? It's because it's the same as a slap in the face. It's someone's crossed a boundary. If you, if, you, if you have a multicultural group of friends, this will happen to you sometimes. You go to the food court and you sit down and your Samoan friend eats off your plate. Has that ever happened to you? That's like a slap in the face like nothing else. But when someone crosses those boundaries, that's what Jesus is talking about. Off, offer them the other cheek. What, is it, what would it take to do that? It would take something to have transformed us on the inside, right? Has anyone's actions or words left you feeling a little underdressed? Not, maybe no one's come up to you and demanded your coat, but has anyone sort of um, made comments in the, oh, this, is, this happened to me, you know, a problem goes wrong at work and you're in the staff meeting and suddenly everyone has to find out that it's your fault. And they didn't take your coat, but you do feel a little naked when you get exposed like that. Has anyone said something about you that shows you in a bad light? Well, that could happen, couldn't it? So number one, Jesus is talking about this radical new approach. But the number two thing I think we've got to understand about this passage of Scripture is that Jesus had a specific, Jesus has got a specific agenda. So Jesus isn't really just saying, 
Jesus isn't just really saying the world will be a happier place if we all treat each other like this. Because, because Jesus is not really talking in this passage. He's not talking to the whole world. He's not saying, he's not speaking sort of in an abstract way, like, like you or I might, that wouldn't the world be a better place if X, Y, and Z? Wouldn't the world be a better place if we had the redistribution of wealth? Wouldn't the world be a better place if we all addressed together, we all addressed the uh, um, concerns, imaginary otherwise, of anthropomorphism, you know, rah, 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 right? Wouldn't it be, like, that would, that's how we often talk in this generalized, the world would be a better place is. Now, Jesus is pointing to actual people and telling them, when this happens, do this. When that happens, do that. It's a radical approach, but it's focused in on his followers. And he's saying, we have got a radical new approach because Jesus has an agenda. So Jesus is not giving these people these instructions just so that they would be happy because none of these instructions are going to make you happier. They're all going to make you sadder. Jesus isn't saying you'll be more successful in life if you get slapped twice rather than getting slapped once. He's not pretending that it's, be, it's good to be slapped. He's saying, come on, when you get slapped, when you get abused, when people cross your boundaries, when people steal your stuff, when people take your stuff, this is how we respond because we've got an agenda, right? He's got an agenda to transform the world. He's got an agenda to say something through his church to all of the world around it. It's not, you know, Jesus' teachings are not just so we have a good time. A lot of what Jesus is teaching his church to do and it, what he, how he wants his church to behave is so that his message is clarified into the world around. And that's what he's doing right here. You can see it towards the end of the passage. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. The verse before, then your reward in heaven will be great. And you will be truly acting as children of the Most High. Because he's, Jesus wanted to say, say something. Jesus, in his own actions, said something about God's love for us, didn't he? And Jesus is wanting our actions to say something about his love for people. It's not just ab about us. Isn't that one of those difficult things in the Bible? Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 20, 23, verse 28 I want to read this passage out, and it's a little bit long, so I'll just read it quickly. Um, and uh, the, I want you to just capture this. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's the guy who's in the picture that we use for our theme. He wrote 1 Corinthians, and he also wrote 2 Corinthians. And it says this. Uh, he's having a competition, he says, about these other apostles. Are, are they servants of Christ? And he says, I know I sound like a madman, but I've worked harder than they have. I've been put in prison more often than they have. I've been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, that's like shovel handles. Once I was stoned with rocks. Uh, when they, st I always have to say that, but uh, uh, so that we don't think that Paul smoked marijuana. But, um, I was reading, uh, someone was talking about being stoned. When they were stoned, this happened, it's actually the story of Paul being stoned is in the book of Acts. They, they, before, I always I missed this, but they, before they threw rocks at you, they always threw you off a cliff. 
the rocks were like a bit of an afterthought. They'd throw you off the cliff, uh, and then they'd beat you down with the rocks. Um, and they tried to do this with Jesus. You see that they took him to the edge of the cliff, and it just says he just passed through the crowd. They couldn't touch him. But Paul was actually thrown off a cliff out of town, and then they beat him down with the rocks. I was, at, I think, at Lystra. He was dragged out of town and, and, and uh, beaten down with the rocks and stuff. Um, and then uh, they left him because they thought he was dead. And someone came out and prayed for him, but he sort of made his way back into the city. So uh, being stoned is probably the closest he got to actually being dead. Um, and it says this, three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. So think about that. A whole night and a whole day adrift at sea. He's traveled on many long roads. I've faced danger from rivers and robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities and desert, desert, des- deserts and on the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and I've worked long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. In one way, at least, this passage from Paul is as much about love as 1 Corinthians 13. And the case could be made that this should also be read at weddings. (laughs) Right? Because this is about love. This is, what, this is what Jesus' agenda looks like. This is what love your enemies looks like. Why were these people beating Paul? Because he went to preach the gospel to them. Why did Paul go to preach the gospel to them? Because the love of Christ compelled him, he says. The love of Christ compels me. So he'd go and preach the gospel because the love of Christ compels him. They'd drag him out of town and they'd throw him off a cliff and they'd beat him with the rocks. And what did he do? He got back up and went back into the town. And what did he do? He preached the gospel. Why? Because that's what God had put on his life. That was his call. His call was to preach the gospel to those who didn't know Jesus and those who were outside the family of God. He went and did that at exceptional personal cost to the point that most Bible scholars say that Paul always walked with a limp and was hunchbacked because of his injuries and likely his alleged blindness was caused by injuries of being stoned to death. Right? So when he talks about his weakness, his vulnerability, his thorn in the flesh, he talks in Galatians about how the, the, the crucifixion of Christ was displayed before them. And he, that's because he went to Galatia straight after Lystra. He limped to Galatia. When he says the crucified Christ was displayed before them, he was talking about himself. He said to the Galatians, you know what it looked, what Jesus' sacrifice looked like because I arrived broken, bruised, and bleeding. See, Jesus has an agenda. He doesn't want us to just be a lovey-dovey community, but he does. But he doesn't want us just to respond with this altruistic, uh, uh, heavenly love to people around us. He wants us to carry mission inspired by love, despite the fact that people will mistreat us. Funny, it's a really funny idea. Paul's whole ministry um, was... When he, when he went out on these mission trips, he went on the mission trip, he'd go to churches, planted churches, he'd be beaten, he'd be, he'd be, you know, he'd be uh, mistreated, he'd be misunderstood, thrown into prison at various times, he'd get out of prison, he escaped from one city, all this sort of stuff, shipwrecked, all this stuff that happened, right? And then other Christian leaders would follow him. 
because he'd established these churches, other Christian leaders would follow him around and then tell all the Christians that Paul was an idiot and he had the story wrong. That's why the, the book of Galatians, he's so angry because other Christian leaders have come in and told the Galatian church that no, the Jews and the Gentiles have to remain separate. And Paul said, no, they're one family, they've got, to, they're, they've got to remain separate. And he's so angry because not only is he facing enemies on the outside, he's got enemies who are supposed to be his friends, but he carries on. Now, look at verse, think about this, verse 28 and 29. That, he's got that whole list of being beaten and shipwrecked and robbed. And verse 28, it says this, and besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Now, imagine yourself adrift at sea. If you can imagine yourself adrift at sea, what are you thinking about? If I'm adrift at sea, I am thinking about one person only. I'm thinking, how am I going to survive this? How am I going to get to shore? How am I? Going? If I'm being beaten, I, even in my most most outwardly focused, my most loving, I'm worried about my back being beaten. Have you ever had like a blister? Can you think of anything else when you have a blister? If you have a prickle in your foot, can you think of anything else? A small limb. If you have a headache, what do you only think about? Headaches. Paul is saying that daily he carries a concern for the churches. This is how he describes it. Who is weak without me feeling their weakness? Who's led astray and I don't burn with anger? I can imagine Paul bobbing up and down in the Mediterranean. He's not, he's, and he's thinking about the people he was supposed to be getting to, the weak ones who he was supposed to strengthen, the ones who were being led astray who he was supposed to bring back to, to Jesus. Being beaten with rods, he's, he, he's, up, he's not thinking about his own back. He's thinking, he's worrying about the weakness of other Christians rather than his own weak. I think that's a powerful picture if you take Jesus, love your enemies, and put it with this Paul demonstration of love on mission where we can see God's, we can see Jesus' plan outworked, right? We can see him doing something awesome. If you're Paul, you're doing these mission trips, all sorts of opposition, you're establishing churches. Then other pastors are coming around, preaching in those churches that you established, preaching an opposite message than you preached, deliberately undermining you, mistreating you, calling you, calling you an idiot, basically calling you an idiot, calling you mistaken. At what point would you just go back to Tarsus or Antioch where all your friends love you? At what point do you say, I'm just going to go, actually, I'm just going to go back to a Christmas church, Wellington, where the people are real Christians. I'm just going to go back to a place where I'm going to be treated right. But Paul's got this ability to keep going into the pain zone. That's what Jesus said. If someone slaps you, is it going to kill you? Well, it could, but if someone slaps you, it's not about someone killing you. It's about someone hurting you. Can you go back to the hurt? We've got the Revolution Hub leaders all launched out into new hubs. And, and it's awesome because it's terrifying. Uh, Harris and a team were leading in uh, Miramar. 
and Luca and Malaya were leading, uh, reaching out into Newtown, and they're just running like an evening program on a Friday night. They've got uh, food and Xbox and games and hanging out, and, and, and they preach a little bit of the gospel, and they're basically trying to connect with kids who, we, who we've connected with already through Revolution Tour, but we want to be near them on a Friday night. Uh, Wakash started out in the western suburbs as well, right? And it's awesome seeing how terrified they were, because do you know what? Do you know what? It really hurts. It really hurts ministering to teenagers it really hurts it's slap after slap oh we'll go so like Luca's got all his work is arranged so that he can be available on a Friday afternoon evening to get ready most of Luca's spare time goes into preparing for you he spends his own money on food right and he's got the very real possibility every Friday night that he does it for the next eight weeks that we're doing these outreaches He's got the very real possibility that no one will turn up or that people will turn up and be rude to him or that people will, will do both, right? Just be rude to him without turning up, right? And it's a slap. How many people are e-group leaders? Now, I love my e-group, but it actually is a challenge each time. <gasps> you know, will, will people like me or will it be a slap? Do you, know, do you know what I mean? Nod your head if you know what I mean, e-group leaders. It, it still requires something of us. And now, are we traveling to heathen lands to preach the gospel to, to No, we're not. But, we're, but there's something about the Christian mission that requires us to have enough love for the lost that we go beyond our pain zone. We go beyond our stretch zone. We go beyond what we're comfortable with, but we embrace it. Now, we don't have enemies chasing us down, but maybe that's because we're not going out enough looking for enemies. Maybe we're not picking enough fights or we'd be in more fights. Is that all right? You see, very, everyone's very quiet today. I've got, don't, I've got like a whole range of jokes at the end. No, I haven't. I haven't. Um, my point number three is this, that, is that if we're going to extend the mission of God, we need power. And I think love is the power. See, the power of what Jesus is, is, is talking to us about um, is found in the context of this passage, which is, I think is pretty telling. The, the context of this Luke passage is really different to where you would find this teaching in the book of Matthew. Luke puts it in quite a different context, and the, and the Holy Spirit's bringing a slightly different message through Luke's writing, right? And the passage in, in before in Luke's version is... Um, is, is, the, is the Beatitudes. And, and Luke's Beatitudes are really different to Matthew's Beatitudes. They're really different. It's a different sort of teaching. It's still Jesus' teaching, but Luke applies it differently. And the Holy Spirit uses Luke to do that, right? It's that Luke's Beatitudes are short, and Luke does a whole bunch of Beatitudes, and then he does a whole bunch of woes, you know, or in the, in the modern translation, what sorrow awaits you? And there's a whole list of sorrow that awaits you. And as a whole, what sorrow awaits you if this? What sorrow awaits you if you're rich, is what Luke says. If you're rich, sorrow awaits you. If you're fat and prosperous, sorrow awaits you. Woe to you, rich people. Woe to you, fat people. And then there's this telling, this telling last woe, which uh, I think in a social media-driven world, this one is our biggest woe. What sorrow awaits you? who are praised by the crowd. I reckon this is the words of Christ recorded by Luke ringing through history. 
It's just, there's, there's nothing but pain in our future if we're driven what, if, by what everybody else thinks. There's nothing but woe if we're worried about how we look, if we're worried about what people say about us, if we're worried about our personal uh, position in life, if we're worried about what everyone's going to think, if we say that, there's nothing but sorrow that awaits us. And then he goes into love your enemies. What sorrow awaits you if you're praised by the crowd, but I say to you, love your enemies. Why is it such a strange context for me? To love our enemies is to go crossing against the crowd. It's to behave in a way that makes everybody think that we're crazy. To behave in a way that makes everybody mistrust us. To behave in a way that makes everyone suspicious of us. See, the the power of love is that love and loving our enemies and loving pain and loving the challenges of life and loving the difficult people and loving people who are not our friends and reaching out beyond our circle, that sort of love disempowers the crowd to control us. That sort of love means I can behave exactly how God's called me to behave despite what you say. Because if I love you enough to preach the gospel, doesn't matter whether you like it or not. Doesn't matter whether you write on Facebook, great sermon today. Doesn't matter if you say to me, pat me on the back afterwards, because I've got to say, no, God says, hey, let's preach this. Let's challenge the church of God. Let's be strong. Let's be faithful. Let's have a vision, right? I can't preach without love. Because if I don't love you, who are all my enemies, then I can't extend you. People are like, oh, you're not my enemy. But you are my enemy if I'm really worried about what you think about me because you're in a position to hurt me. But as soon as I say, no, I'm loving and I'm reaching out, then I disempower my imagined enemies. I disempower my crowd by bringing you into my friendship circle and saying, come on, I love a group of church Wellington. I'm going to preach as powerfully as I can, as forceful as I can, the truth of God, so that we can grow and move forward in our faith. Amen? But what about, what about in the workplace, in your workplace? What will everybody think? It doesn't matter if you can love. You know, I love that, you know, the, the pictures Jesus uses of the, that if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other. And there's 17,000 different ways you can interpret and apply that. Uh, but one of those is, I think is this, is, is Alistair, if you just jump up, I'm not going to actually slap you. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's okay. So if I'm going to slap Alistair like that, right? Just stay there, Alistair. Okay, I've changed, I've changed some pretty important things about Alistair physically. I've changed, I've changed the position of his head, and most importantly, I've changed his perspective with my slap. Oh, don't give me any of that Jesus stuff slap. You see, if, say you start to share with a friend about how good Jesus is and, and your friend slaps you back. What, what, what's the slap done? You react. You, you, if I slap you on the face, you can't not turn away. It's the same when you start to share about Jesus or the love of God starts to flow out of you and you start to say, hey, what could Jesus do in your life? Could I pray for you about that? You get that slap. And your, and your whole perspective shifts with a slap. Are you, are you going to share with them again? No. 
Are, are you going to look? You, you're, you're now no longer looking at them. You now, your focus is not on them anymore. Your focus is being shifted. But what does Jesus say? Offer them the other cheek. What does that do? You return your focus back to them. You, you're resisting the, the reflex of the snap, of the slap. You're re- resisting the reflex to turn away from what God had called you. Do you, you get that little picture? Thank you, Alistair. That's the challenge for us in our, in our Christian journey. We're not in Wellington as, as, as Christians. We're not alive in Wellington just to be here in Wellington. Acts chapter 17, G, Paul preaching to the um, Athenians. On Mar, preaching to the Athenians on Mars Hill. He says this, from one nation of men, God called all the nations of the earth. And it says he determined the boundaries of their habitation, deciding who should rise and who should fall. From one blood, he created all people, it says in one of the old translations. I like that. From one blood, he created all people. You're not alive by accident. You're not alive in Wellington by accident. I don't think you're alive in Wellington by your choice I think you're alive and well into by the plan and the purposes of God. If you've been obedient to him and you found yourself here, then you're in Wellington to extend the kingdom of God just the same as I am. People think, well, that's a different view, Jordan, because you were called by God. No, I wasn't any more called by God than any other Christian or, in fact, any other person. Ephesians says that God loved us and called us. Before the creation of the world, God called. Before the creation of the world, God determined my boundaries, my habitation. And he did that. He determines our boundaries and our habitations so that people would find him, so that we'd seek for him, so that we'd look for him. Paul argues that throughout all of human history, which is something he knew about, Nations would rise, ideas would rise, empires would rise, and nations would fall. Ideas would fall, empires would fall. People would be born and would die and would travel and be part of different cultures and different communities for the simple reason that God was at work in all of that human history so that we could find him. I want to suggest to you that in Wellington, there are people here in Wellington that only you can reach with the gospel. There are people in Wellington that only you, only your presence in Wellington is going to open the door for salvation for them. Or actually, if we take the example a bit wider, there's actually people in Wellington that only we can reach. That actually how we relate together as a church sends a message to our city that certain people are going to resonate with. All of the other brass band players are going to join the orchestra of the kingdom because they hear us play. They hear the sound that comes out of your life and my life. You might not be a trombone, but together we're a brass section making a noise in our city that comes out of our heart. But it's not going to happen if we keep flexing away from the difficulty, if we keep pulling away from commitment, if we choose not to play together as a team, if we choose not to be in the same, uh, on the same page of the orchestra sheet, if we're not all focused on the conductor, then we don't get to be the orchestra God's called us to be. We don't get to express something of God's love in our city. I'm not suggesting we all should line up to get beaten with rods. But we all need to embrace something of the, of, of the Christian faith that says, I'm here for a purpose. I'm here to express the love of God to the world despite their objections and their difficulties that come with it. Amen? Amen?
Well, that's a good place to finish. Why don't you close your eyes, bow your heads, let me pray for you um, before we finish. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're here. And Lord, I pray that as I've been speaking this morning, I know that you've been speaking to our hearts as well. Lord, you've been shaping us. You've been, uh, you've been leading us, Lord God. Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, Lord, we thank you that you're our teacher. You lead us into all truth. And Lord, I pray to today, Lord God, that what you're wanting to say would sink into our hearts. Lord, as we go into our, the rest of our days, we go on in what you've called us to. Lord, we just thank you that it's not about us. It's not about uh, our little life, but it's about your great purpose. And Lord, your love for us is so great that we truly can reflect that love in the world around us. Your love for us is so purpose-driven, so powerful, Lord God, that we actually have the opportunity to express it in the world around us, Lord God. That we, Lord, we even open up our hearts to that, to the possibility of that. Just as you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, one of the things we love to do is give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus. Uh, follow, be, being a Christian is, is simply about acknowledging Jesus, believing that His faithfulness is enough to save us. The Bible describes Jesus' death on the cross as a substitution death for us. That because He was faithful to die on the cross and because He rose again and because He continues to live, as King of kings and Lord of lords, if we believe the gospel and trust in Him, we can find salvation. If, if you've never made a decision or prayed a prayer to trust in Jesus, I'd love to give you the opportunity to do that before we close our service. And what I'll do is, while everyone's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed, if you're here and, and you want to pray that prayer, while everyone has their heads bowed eyes closed, I'm just going to get you to give me a quick wave and say, that's me, I want to make that decision to acknowledge Jesus. And I'm choosing to believe this morning that He is faithful and His faithfulness is enough to save me. You may not be ready to make that decision, but if you are, just as you have your, everyone else has got their heads closed, just look up, head, eyes closed. Just, just, why don't you just look up, catch my eye, and give me a wave, and then we'll pray.